This is Lisa Picot playing Mindy on Married with Children, Kelly's friend. This is Jennifer Lyons, also known as Bud Bundy's girlfriend, Ariel. This is Juliet Tablack, also known as Marcy's niece, Amber. This is Rich Scheidner, Al Bundy's co-worker at the shoe store, Luke Ventura. This is Ed Bell, known to you all as Bob Rooney. This is Harold Sylvester, also known as Griff. This is Amanda Burse, also known as Marcy Rhodes Darcy. This is David Faustino. Uh, I think you know me better, obviously, as Bud Bundy, uh, a.k.a. Grandmaster B. This is Michael Moy, creator of Married with Children. And you're listening to the Married with Children podcast. Let's rock. I get a woman. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast as we take a very short trip down memory lane and wrap up this past season, season 11. My name is Annabelle and I am the second laziest bitch in Chicago. And joining me this week as we take a look back at this past season is... And hi, this is Luigi. I'm really happy to be in the nudie bar today. I may not be 62 years old, but I am still being spanked by a topless birthday clown. and uh i'm tyler sorry i was uh just combing the classifieds for new podcast jobs but now my hair is messy (laughs) it's kind of a visual joke so i didn't really know how to audio it Hello, my name is Matt, and I've just come back from my time in the army, uh, cleaning up a bit of trash, uh, some of which is comprised of this very season of Married of Children. Uh, all serious aside, uh, I did have enjoyed reviewing these episodes of Married of Children, whether they're the, um, the, the legendary ones or the scum of the earth. You'll find out our thoughts later on. <laughs> and I'm the devil. I mean, I'm Steven. Warrior itinerary of eternal torments. Eating weenie tots, which will put you in the bathroom, and only being able to watch season 11 of the Married with Children reruns. <laughs> Damn. That's hell. I can't believe we're actually in mourning. Mm. Well, actually, it's, it's fairly dark outside. It's closer to midnight. But we are in mourning for the show a little bit. More on that next episode, perhaps, of the podcast. But it, this is our final season wrap-up show. And we will be back to wrap up the entire series next time. But this is just a focus on the past season, season 11. And I think next, the next episode is the one that's going to get me going a little bit because there's not a huge amount in season 11 to really feel too emotional about. It's a season that started strongly enough but ended very much with a whimper and not a bang. And we'll, we'll expand on that as we discuss it today and we'll do the usual highlights of course of the season so we'll go through our three our top three favorite episodes our three least favorite episodes and any honorable or dishonorable mentions we want to 
mention. <laughs> and we'll talk about our favorite hot chicks of the season, favorite guest stars, or, you know, least favorite guest stars, sex points, if that's still a thing. Plus, uh, any other special moments in the season, I uh, might have to hunt for them a little bit. But it will include our favorite podcast moments because despite what this season has been for some people it's still been fun to do the podcast and the podcast itself started this season actually pretty well because we had two new amazing interviews to add to our arsenal and so in fact we started our season well Luigi and Chris did by interviewing the one and only Rich Scheidner so, uh, well, Chris isn't here. So, uh, Luigi, do you want to um, just expand on on that a little bit and how and just recap that interview? All of these interviews that we do are very enlightening because, you know, I think sometimes you have an expectation of what you're going to hear, and maybe you might hear something that you haven't heard before. Some of the stuff with married with children through the years, and Annabelle, I know you in particular know this because you know you've been on those boards for <laughs> almost three decades now, right? <clears throat> God, <laughs> we're able to dispel some rumors or maybe confirm some rumors. Like I remember when Michael Moy was interviewed, there's always been this rumor floating around that Married with Children was intended to have been a black family, right? The Bundys were supposed to have been black and he dispelled that rumor. The thing with Rich was he sort of confirmed the rumor that that there was some tension, I guess, between himself and Michael Moy. Now, I mean, there's two sides to both stories. I mean, either Michael Moy did not like his approach or the character from when he was first envisioned was too one-dimensional. And I think even Rich himself said that in the interview. It's not 100% of one or 100% of the other. It's probably a mix of the two, and I tend to agree with that. But looking at the initial episodes with Rich going back to season one, because I had to do that as I produced that interview... I, I did come to that same conclusion about the rich character really wouldn't have worked much unless they had really put more focus back on the shoe store. Because I think after those initial episodes of season one, a lot of the action that happened in the family in the early seasons was at home. And I think like they started to move back to this uh, shoe store, I think around the time that Steve left. I mean, what are your opinions on that? Yeah, they really didn't go back to the shoe store until I mean, they kind of went back to it, but they really didn't fully go back into it until you get to season nine and Griff is in, involved. Yeah, and also season eight when you had, uh, oh, for the life of me, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yes, so there was that season eight. But this being said, you've got to remember, there's also the whole Ocean universe where if Luke stayed, they could have written more shoe store episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. I also noticed that in season 11, we tend to, even to the detriment of the written episodes themselves, we seem to like are trying to stay with the idea that the fan, it, this is a family oriented show. So hence less no ma'am stuff than usual, less shoe store things, less nudie bar stuff. I've tend to notice there was way more things that were located around the family doing things. Like I said, whether that's to the betterment or the detriment of the show, it, it seemed like someone was like, no, 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 stay inside the house, stay with the family for the most part. But going back to Rich, I felt that, you know, Rich, 
was probably the most like his on-screen character. He's like the kind of guy you want to like take to a bar and sit and have a beer with. <laughs> yeah, I got that feeling too. I, that's one thing I really liked about. It. I thought, well, he's basically playing himself. It sounds like. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned a lot about him. I mean, accomplished author and writer. I'd say I've been really been impressed with all of the interviews that we've had uh, because you really get more insight into the actor actress, uh, especially true of Ed Bell. I, I think he was, I think the most, not what I expected in that interview, but I'll let uh, Annabelle and Matt get to that in a moment. Something else that was missing a lot in this season is Nomad. There's a distinct lack of Nomad compared to previous seasons. That didn't stop us from certainly interviewing one of the members when we can, and we we were trying to get Ed Bell for a, a while, and then suddenly his schedule opened up, and it was like, I'm free, let's interview him. Bam, it was produced pretty much, what, in a week or something, a couple of weeks. So that was a whirlwind of, like, again, another fantastic interview with a really nice chap, and we learned a lot about his career. Starting out, he's doing porn. <laughs> 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 and just this long career and it's just always amazing you know you see a guy on tv and he's known for playing a total buffoon in what can be perceived as a very silly tv show and you know you, and you talk to the man and he's you know he's, he's he's a really good actor and he's very bright and very articulate and everything like that I always find that interesting it's that old saying of a fool playing a fool doesn't work a smart person playing a fool does work and it was great to interview Ed, wasn't it, Matt? Definitely was. Uh, yes, it was great to ask him a bit about his career. I, I remember distinctly asking him about if he brought any of Ed Bell to character Bob Rooney, uh, which he did. I was like uh, actually asking actors if they bring any of their real selves to the character, hearing about other bits of his career. Like I found that he was on a show I watched when I was a boy, The Amanda Show. So if I ever said it again, I'll keep it night for him there. Uh, Yes, very, very much a season actually now in his uh, 70s, if I recall correctly. And uh, yeah, all, all around great to uh, interview. Pity there wasn't uh, more of him and the rest of the Nomad guys in season 11. Yeah. My impression of Ed is, you know, a very much a, a soft-spoken intellectual. Mm. Yes. Very contrary to his character. I mean, the only one I'd say closer, as close to him, was probably uh, Jennifer Lyons back uh, in season 10 because... I would say Jennifer has the personality. Like, I, I think like in terms of like her cheerfulness, like what comes across as the actress, but again, a lot yeah. more intelligent than the character of Ariel. But Ed Bell was, like I said, very, very intellectual, very reflective and introspective. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. And just to know that, hey, you know, he really appreciates comedy. And I think it's like true with all of us. It's like, you know, like we we may sound like to our uh, fans listening to the podcast that, you know, we foam at the mouth <laughs> talking married with children. But, you know, in our normal daily lives, it's like we do other things, right? <laughs> and we have Yes. Other... <laughs> yes. To my, to my friends out there, I can assure you I do plenty of other things. As I mentioned before, a lot of my friends and acquaintances know me as the guy who loves married with children. So just letting you all know for the record. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, foaming at the mouth doesn't pay the bills, so yes. I know. <laughs> Wait, we're supposed to do other things? Uh-oh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Dang it. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With Ed 
Bell recently is going through some health issues. And if you follow him on Facebook, you might be up to date with those. So, But Ed, if you're listening, we wish you nothing but very good wishes and the best of health. And thank you again for allowing us to do an interview. Absolutely. And I was very excited to know that his scenes in Babylon were kept in the movie. I have yet to Mm. see the film, but I do know that uh, from his posts on Facebook that they did indeed uh, make it to the movie. Speaking back to season 11 in general, the biggest thing probably that happened in the season was the change behind the scenes because Ron Levitt had left a while ago, but Michael Moy had left at the start of season 10. And But for season 11, there's a brand new executive producer and her name is Pamela Ells, unless it's Eels, but I think it's Ells. And, you know, she she's a producer on a lot of other 90 shows at the time. And but she's a new executive producer for this season only. And there's co-executive producers, Russell Marcus, Vince Chung, Ben Montiano, co-producer Michael Greenspan, producer John Maxwell Anderson, who's a name we've seen before, consulting producer Richard German. That's not, that's not a new name. Story editors Steve Faber and Bob Fisher, other story editors Valerie Ahern, Christian McLaughlin, Eric Abrams and Matthew Berry. Some of these are writers, new writers for the show, and creative consultants Alan Eisenstock and Larry Mintz. Our directors this season were ones we've had before, were some of our regulars. So, of course, we've got Jerry Cohen. And also stepping up and directing a bit more is Amanda Burse, of course. But, yes, so there's some... Things going on behind the scenes that is probably reflected in the season, whether or not we actually notice them. But what we do notice is this season only, there's a cold open and there's an epilogue. Most episodes have an epilogue, not all of them, but every episode starts with a cold open. So a scene before the opening credits and the opening credits themselves have changed and been truncated that's probably a cost-saving measure. So not only did we do, we touched on this in the last episode, but they did two fewer episodes this season and they've pretty much cut the opening credits in half. So I think there's a bit of money-saving going on there. But stylistically speaking, the big change is these cold opens and for some episodes, an epilogue. So I just wanted to get your you guys... Your, all of your thoughts on that. Uh, are you a fan of the cold open? Do you like it? Are you indifferent? Do you hate it? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I guess I'll uh, jump in on there. So I like it. Okay. So, and I don't know if that's just me personally digging cold open styles or if it's just after watching so many episodes in a row because I tend to binge this. I rarely ever just sit down and be like, you know what? I'm going to watch a episode of Married with Children. If I'm going to watch episodes, I tend to watch like mm, three, four in a row. Sometimes like that. I I don't know if I'm in a, mo- a television watching time, not podcasting time. And I get really tired with just the, uh, I get tired of opening themes quite often, even Frank Sinatra. And to have a cold opening just to kind of like just grease me up for, for the episode. And then when the uh, then for some reason after the cold opening, I'm more welcoming of the theme. So maybe that's just something with me personally, but I, I kind of liked it. 
Thank you for that, Tyler. Well, here's my thoughts. So as most of you know, I'm a pretty big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is famous for its cold opens, especially a particular one involving the Backstreet Boys from Season 5. So, um, so I mean, they're, they're not my favourite um, opening of a TV show. I mean, I, I, I love opening themes. I never I never skip them. So screw you, Netflix. Uh, so obviously, I mean, I mean, the episodes themselves were short, and I think it was done for a cost-saving measure. So... I don't mind them, but personally, I prefer how seasons one through ten through ten opened with the proper full length theme and uh, go into the action after the opening credits. So uh, I'd also miss the whole shots of the family on the sofa and the dog and Lucky in this case eating the money. Uh, so yeah, definitely inferior to seasons one through ten openings. On the cold openings, I kind of look at it like uh, sometimes they work with the show, sometimes they don't. I don't think it works with Married with Children. And I think, again, my opinion, I think it was because of the writers they had. I don't think the writers knew how to write a good cold opening. And I think it shows. I don't hate cold openings unless they're done correctly. I mean, so, Stephen, I'm sort of with you. I mean, because I think everyone says we don't necessarily mind the cold openings, only if they were done better. But... Annabelle, to sort of that list that you rattled off, you know, the new executive producer, you know, I, I talked about this actually when I was interviewed by Alex, Dan and Jamie back at the end of season six, when I first came on the podcast. And what I said at the time is the same thing I'm going to say now. After 11 seasons, you have beat the horse to death. <laughs> and the thing is, if you want to keep a show going, you have to keep it fresh. And that's one of the things that Rich Scheidner really said in his interview. It's that the comedy from season one, when Married with Children was groundbreaking, when it was something new that nobody else had done, was, again, like that's sort of what helped make it famous. But the thing is, is that as the years go by, you have lots of copycats. And then what is groundbreaking becomes the norm. There are a lot of copycats out there. By the time you get to season 11, what other storyline can you do? How many more Al avoiding sex with Peg jokes can you do? How many more Kelly is a dumb blonde jokes can you do? And that to me is sort of what happens. And Chris, you know, wasn't able to make it onto this recording. You know, as he says, you know, the show is running on, you know, it ran out of gas and they try certain gimmicks to try to breathe new life into the show. And if you think about it, no ma'am was a great injection of life into the show in season nine. I mean, well, I mean, first instances in season eight, but then finally it's fleshed out in season nine. But, you know, what other ideas could you put into this to keep it going? If we had expected a season 12 or a season 13. So I can't fault them for trying but I can fault them for poor execution on the material that they had. I mean, look, I think there was some gold in the season, but I mean, Crimes Against Obesity, I thought was very well done. A great idea. I mean, like funny, I think well-written, but I mean, for every, for every jewel that we had, you know, there were like four duds. Yeah, that's true. And uh, speaking of stories and events and things and ideas, to try and keep the show fresh, uh, that were a few a few things that happened this season, uh, a few major events and minor events. But 
one way to keep Al from having sex with Peg is to break them up. And that happens in the trilogy in the middle of the season. Well, mid, late middle of the season. Um, then we also had, well, at the end of the season, Kelly almost gets married. Also near the end of the season, Lucky comes out. <laughs> well, okay. And in that same episode, we find out that Marcy has an identical cousin. <laughs> also around the same time, Jefferson turns 40. And Bud gets a new notch on his bedpost <laughs> um, in the form of Al's boss, Gary. So that's just a, a very brief idea of what happens this season. The other major thing is that Al's Dodge almost dies. And that's that's probably one of the most popular episodes of the season. But yeah, that's they're the major events. Okay, I'll just list the guest stars of note this season and then we'll talk about our favorite episodes. Oh no, we'll do uh do the guest stars and then hot chicks maybe. Okay. Sounds good. So guest stars of notes from uh Luigi's notes here. So Christina Moore, she's the woman in uh Twisted whose uh, dress gets blown off. <laughs> got James Brown, the um the the Fox sports guy, not the singer. Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, Ronnie Lott, Tammy Winnett. She's probably the most famous of all these people. Maybe that's, that's... <coughs> <laughs> Robert. <laughs> uh, Robert. Yeah. Robert England, yes. Uh, <laughs> Di- Diana Bellamy, um, a recurring guest star. JJ Johnston, another recurring guest star and friend of the show. Uh, of Married Children, not us. Lisa Robin Kelly played Kelly's. She was fighting Kelly for a role in uh, Catfight the movie. Then we've got Alan Thicke, Gloria Leroy, Elaine Hendricks, who was David Forsino's girlfriend at the time, Robert England, who everybody knows as Freddy mm-hmm. Krueger and is probably the saving grace of Dan Bundy's, Edie McClurg and Gordon Jump, and Rance Howard. If you don't know that name, it's because. He is Ron Howard's father, and he played the uh, the priest in the in Kelly's wedding episode, which was the last episode to be produced. So that's just a brief rundown of the guest stars this season. And um, who were some of your favorite guest stars? My favorite was Alan Thicke, and I just thought he was perfect in that role. He plays just a smarmy schmuck, and it's away from his usual Jason Sievers that was still, I can't remember if it was still running at that time or not, but I loved him. And to me, the King was Robert England is the devil. I thought he was perfect in that role. I think he stole every scene he was in and just made it that damn Bundy's even more fun than what it was. So that's my take on the guest stars. Well, I will piggyback off of Steven to go with uh, my f- top three. Of course, number one, Robert England, all bow. Like, that was, oh, man, I had so much fun. When he popped up, I had completely forgotten, like, which episode he was in. And when he, and when I saw him in those devil horns hopping around, it was, Oh, it was a delight. I just wanted to rewatch that episode again only because of him. So it was it was incredible. But I also want to give a shout out to now I didn't re-listen to our episode of it, so I'm not really sure if I liked the episode or not. I don't think I did. But I do like what Trisha Cast and Chip Eston brought 
in the desperate half hour. I don't like how they were used. I don't like how the episode was written. However, I do feel like they were trying to bring <laughs> what was whatever was in there. It's it's really hard to choose because for the most part, I do feel all the guests in Marywood Children bring it. I don't really feel like in other high-rated network shows when they bring a guest on to just be like, oh, it's blank, or we brought a guest on just to be funny or something like that. I do feel like there's a lot of chemistry with guest stars and the show. So even if the episode's not good, I feel if I feel like the guests are having fun and really trying to bring it, it's hard for me to like hate on them. So, yep, those are my uh, those are my three call outs. All right. So uh, don't have too much more out of the guest stars. I will say I liked uh, Tammy Wynette and her, her appearance in uh, that's, uh, uh, the, the Jugs Have Left the Building. Uh, I quite like country music, so uh, I think she did a de- decent job there. I also give another vote to uh, Alan Thicke for, again, playing in Anti-Jason Seaver, which um, that growing pants have been off the air for five years, um, four or five years by uh, this point. Uh, so good to see him playing a character a complete opposite of what he was known for. Uh, let's see, just looking for the guest stars here. Got them right in front of me. Uh, everything was good. Jay, oh, let's see. Uh, oh. Yeah, I don't have too much more to uh, add. For myself, pretty much I think what you guys have said. Uh, I think the, uh, I mean, Diana Bellamy, just having her and sort of having that callback back to season one to show again some glimmer of continuity as being the first one that Alan salted to be the judge, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think she was just fabulous. It was great to see her there. Definitely Alan Thick. Because it's just, I, I, again, like with anything, it's very jarring to see him playing a completely different character. I mentioned this episodes back, a few seasons back. Gordon Jump always stuck out to me because remembering him on WKRP in Cincinnati, and then he played a child molester on uh, different strokes. Mm. And seeing him, mm. you know, in a completely different role, different demeanor, like that was very jarring to me as a kid. I'm like, wow. And that's when, like, I sort of, I guess, in my mind, because uh, I was very young at the time, I started to, like, sort of associate, well, the actor is not the character, you know, because I think, like, when you're young, you think that the actor is the character. Those are, I'd say, my top three. But I do want to give a shout out to Gloria Leroy, uh, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, she was a character actress, and uh, she played uh, uh, Boom Boom Turner in uh, All in the Family. I really love the dialogue that she gave that they gave her because um, I thought it was clever. But again, she's going along for the joke. And, you know, I did the math. <clears throat> she was 72 years old when she appeared and she was like the elderly uh, stripper in the nudie bar uh, in live nude. Chesty LaRue. Right. And she goes <laughs> boom, boom Turner to yeah. Chesty LaRue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she says, you know, like, I'm a sick, like she comes out with that, um, with um, the Walker and she's like, I'm a sexist when I entertain the troops and Al says union or Confederate. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, she's, uh, she says she used to, um, do this number for uh, FDR and uh, he invented the lap dance. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, like, again, you know, like that's a little bit of history. I mean, it's very clever. Did you see that episode of All in the Family where she plays Boom Boom Turner? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. 
I didn't know if you guys were just reading the credits or not, but yeah, if, uh, listeners, if nobody's seen, if you haven't seen that episode of All in the Family, uh, try to check it out. It's really, really funny, and she's a she's a doll in it. I'll just add, just make, just watch All in the Family in general, people. Yeah, that too. Yeah, sure, but watch that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but as I was saying, I, I just think it's clever. Like the the writing is clever, and she goes along for the joke. Uh, yeah, so you have to appreciate that. Yeah, I'm pretty much in, in agreement with you all, actually. Yeah, I, I love how Alan Thicke plays against his sitcom TV dad, and he puts on the smarm quite well. Uh, Tyler, you mentioned Chip Aston, or Charles Aston. He's a favorite of mine because I'm a fan of his anyway, since the show was on. So retroactively, he's he's one of my favorites. I think he should have been he. Uh, Married Children didn't show him to his full potential. But it was really, I got a kick out of seeing him. And uh, Robert England, yeah, I, I love him just in, in general and on, and on the show as well. I wish he was in an episode that had a, a proper live studio audience because they would have gone nuts to see him. Instead, they just got the, the, the candle after because they had all these gimmicky effects in the episode. They didn't film with a studio audience. Yeah, it's still cool to see him, and you know he, he's he's down. He'll do anything, you know. This thought... classically trained actor, and he he'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say yeah. you wanted to see him in an episode that better showed his strengths as an actor. And I was about to attack you. I'm like, he's in a like cheesy devil outfit and hopping around. It's perfect. He's yeah. he's a horror god in a horror themed episode. I can't. I could think of somebody I want more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, as long, there's some of our favorite guest stars, and uh, along with some guest stars, we get some hot babes. <laughs> so uh, Luigi has put together a list of all the babes this season. So uh, Luigi, do you want to read out our list of hot chicks this season? Okay, so this was not like season 10. I sort of jokingly said I think one of the reasons why this isn't a, a, as good a season as 10 is because there just aren't as many hot chicks. <laughs> and again, I think it's part of the change in the direction of the show. However, here we go. We have in episode one, Jennifer Lyons as Ariel. Also in episode one, we have Christina Moore as the gorgeous woman. In episode three, we have Tina Yothers as herself. In episode 14, we have Lisa Robin Kelly as Heather Talrico. In episode 15, we have Lisa Malili as Sandy, Rosa Blasi as woman number one, Mandy Levin as woman number two, and Lisa Maris as Susie. Uh, these are all of the women who are in the bar, and Lisa Maris is the one who knocks on Al's door. In episode 17, we have Carmen Morel as Shaney. Vanessa A. Dorian as stripper number one. Vanessa Cherie Guarnera as go-go dancer. Tracy Pauf as tapping stripper. And Valerie Swift as the go-go dancer. Another go-go dancer. In episode 18, we have Blair Barron as Jordan. In episode 19, we have Corinne Riley as young woman. Episode 20, Elaine Hendricks as Elaine. Episode 22, Trisha Cast as Starla. Episode 23, Lauren Hayes as Susie, Mason Dragato as Jennifer, Rena Rifle as stripper number one, Jennifer Diane Hansen as also is another stripper, and in episode 24, we have Abby Nayer as Corndog Lady. An inspiring list. Well, if, if no one minds, uh, I'll go first because I, 
uh, mine's going to be probably a little different. Okay, so I first off want to say I would love a acting credit as either the tapping stripper or corn dog lady. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like that would add a lot to my resume. <laughs> but uh, Luigi's right. We have seen a lack of quote unquote hot women, but we do have some uh, shiners. And rather than point out who is my favorite specifically, because I'm not going to lie, while you were reading them out, unless you gave me very specific, like, who they were, like the stripper, that the girl who knocks on Al's door, like, unless you gave me, like, a scene that they were in, it was really hard for me to place them. And I think I know why. Rather than drooling over their hotness, I'm going to give a shout out to for the most part, all of them, for being utilized quite well in the script and being more integral to the fabric of the show rather than just, like, a lot of times our hot women were played as the fat women in the shoe store, that, well, here comes a hot woman in the shoe store, and the only characteristic is she's hot, or the only characteristic is she's fat. They really didn't do that much with the fat women, but they did seem to try to give more of a uh, depth to our to our hot chicks of the episode. Where yes, they were here, and comedy will follow because of how Al or Bud react to, or any of the No Man guys like Griff or Ed, how they react to them, but. Uh, Deep down, they do have most for the most time. They have roles; they're connected to the plot of the episode for the most point. And I feel like the show just accepted that you know this is something we have to have, but we're not going to go so stereotypical to our, towards it. At least that's how the feeling I got when I was thinking of the season as a whole. So, Tyler, who would you say your top three then? Mm, okay, so let's submit top three. Uh, would be the tapping stripper because for some reason when you said that the and corn dog lady when you said those two they popped up into my in my head immediately so I was like all right I'm going with them and uh, I hate it I, f- I forget her name Luigi the one in the first episode Jennifer Lyons Jennifer Ly- Jesus I forgot who it was you listed off the the list so fast and it's so early for me um yeah so and I'm jumping between tons of lists i don't know how many screens you have open luigi but i i keep jumping between different lists that i have uh so yes jennifer lyons obviously uh like that episode was so weird i i loved it but also after a while i kind of feel like i never really want to go back to it i don't know if i just watched it a bunch for our recording but yeah i'm gonna have to give jennifer lyons number one and then uh tappy stripper and uh corn dog girl for my for my next two just because they look oh they those episodes made me giggle a lot so yeah my favorites are include christina moore in twisted and lisa i hope i said this right malili in requiem for a chevy weight and vanessa a dorian those were my favorites I don't have a whole lot to say about them other than that (laughs) no that's fine as for myself, I give uh let's say I'll I'll put Elaine Hendricks down because I agree with 
Stefan in the Let's Be Friends episode that she's a severely underrated actress and she's just adorable and has the whitest, most alabaster, smoothest skin I've ever seen. But I have to go, my number one pick would be Jennifer Lyons because we can't ignore Ariel. And I almost forget that she's in this season because she's such a a prominent part of season 10 um, in a lot of ways, but she's in the beginning of this season and she's my favorite and I, I just love her. And I'll give a special mention to Gary's legs, her bare legs, when she sleeps with Bud. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of my top three, I guess in in ascending order, I'd say number three, Lisa Robin Kelly. I I think she uh, uh, definitely a very beautiful woman. Unfortunately, she's not with us anymore. This one, I think everyone skipped over Mason Dragato. Uh, she played Jennifer. She was one of Kelly's friends in the How to Marry a Moron episode. She's sitting on the couch with uh, Kelly they're, when they're going through her uh, Kelly's black book. Mm-hmm. Is she the, the bleach blonde or the other one? No, she's the other one. Right. She, she, she's the one who says, it's like, I, I recognize this name. It's like, isn't that your father? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she's a very stunning woman. But uh, my number one is obviously Jennifer Lyons. I mean... Just the, uh, like I said, the sunny personality, beautiful woman, great co- comedic delivery. So, mm. so she, those are my top three. All righty. So again, uh, my number one has to be Jennifer Lyons. I mean, Ariel was a great character. I mean, uh, great character, great hot hot bird playing it honestly can't go wrong uh i'm also a fan of christina moore i've just been going through some of quickly googling some of um this list because um some of these stick out more than others christina Moore was definitely great and twisted as well uh i'll also have to give a vote for uh let's see the let's see the strip stripper in uh episode 17 of this season uh but yeah, I mean, as others have said, uh, not too many others have really stuck out for me, aside from uh, especially Ariel and the gorgeous woman. Yeah, it's it's surprising. Well, not surprising, but it's still a shock to realize that um, Lisa Robin Kelly is no longer with us because she died fairly young. I think she was about 43 just a few years ago. There's another actress. She was not one of the quote-unquote hot women. She was one of the quote-unquote fat women who featured in the show a couple of times, including this season in uh, Birthday Boy Toy. Her name is Sonia Eddy. You'll know her if you saw her, especially if you've seen General Hospital. But she passed away just a few weeks ago. and she She was not that old either. All right, so for the ladies out there and any other fans who may appreciate the male form as opposed to the female form, Again, the season's very light on the on the eye candy for both sexes. I say both sexes, these two particular sexes. But there's a couple of guys. Again, a shout out to Charles Aston. He's just adorable. And the and the other and the guy who stands out for me most of all is the cab driver in um, Kelly's Got a Habit when he <laughs> comes in, and that's he's the guy who finally sways Kelly, and he ends up in a kelly bud sandwich on the sofa <laughs> you know wouldn't we love to but yeah that guy is smoking you know and you're right annabelle i mean even on the guy side there wasn't many there wasn't a lot of talent quote unquote right yeah no nah, it's a bit light i don't know marcy's uh cousin was pretty hot yeah does she count I mean, yeah sure. I was thinking about that when we were listening. I was like, shouldn't she have counted as a guest star too? 
<laughs> I did wonder, but you know. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Speaking of getting hot under the collar, how about some sex points? <laughs> well, obviously Peggy would um win this season like we um in a landslide. Do, I mean, do we count the month of no sex that was technically offered in uh in the uh the three parter? Yes, that Does was that February, count as thirty? So, <laughs> well, it's the shortest month, of course. <laughs> Dang it! Ah, of course. <laughs> Knowing Al's luck. If you go back to the rules, I mean, Jerry's the one who started this. And I think, you know, and the rules were it has to be on screen. And like, you know, Al either has to ask for it or Peggy has to ask for it. And it's the response. So you can't count, like, I guess, the sitcom time. You know, you're right. You're right, Luigi. Let's ask Jerry. Hey, Jerry, what do you think about that? <gasps> oh, he ain't here, is he? 28 sex points to Al. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I love you, Jerry. I love you. Thank you for bringing me out of the podcast, Jerry. <laughs> Al did ask for it a couple of times this season. Like, in, in example, you know, Crimes Against Obesity and the Stepford Peg. They're the ones that stand out for me. That's true. But the thing is, is that I, I guess that's right. If it, no, well, no, it's if, if Al's avoiding it, th- that's what yes. it is. Al has to avoid it. But Peggy got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, she got it. Yeah, she So did. there you go. So. Yeah, uh, again, like, I don't think we have a numerical number, but uh, it's probably pretty close to that, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, looking at the list, I, there's no real like sex scenes other than the two you just mentioned, Annabelle. And whatever they did in the basement in *Grime and Punishment*. Yeah, that <laughs> actually. Well, again, that's definitely a point right there for Peg. But I think the biggest one is *Live New Peg*. I mean, that's about sex, pretty much. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know Peg earns not only points but a trophy for that episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> do you want to do favorite episodes or least favorite episodes first? I think I do the least favorite first. Okay. Yeah. We'll end on a high. You're asking two of the same thing there. Boom tish. Positive. <laughs> Okay, so on that note, let's talk about our favorite and least favorite episodes. But we are going to do our least favorite episodes first. So we'll do top three, probably in, um, you know, three, two, one, and any dishonorable mentions. Who wants to kick us off? I guess that's me then. My third worst episode was A Babe in Toyland. I just didn't think it fitted with Married with Children at all. And I didn't find it very funny. It was just a really bad episode, all in all. Chris Gunter will probably dislike this, but I did not like trash. That's one I'll always skip when I see it coming on the TV. And like a baby in Toyland, it's like it's removing the characters way, way, way too far out of their element. And I just did not think it went well with the Married with Children idea. And, of course, my the worst one is Chicago Shoe Exchange. You know, even if it wasn't the season or the series closer, so to speak, or the last, or the last one that aired, I still would have hated that one. I just, it made me angry at a point because not just the, You know, I've said already that the writing was just bad. It was like a stream of consciousness instead of 
having an idea of what you want in a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I don't fault the character, the actors. I follow the writers on that one. So my least favorite episodes. Okay, uh, I'd honestly have to go for given that the the, the um, dishonor of being the official finale. Uh, I don't go for the, the the desperate half hour and how to marry a moron simply for um just how deflating it is as a as a final episode to be honest and it's like this is how it ends this is very very anticlimactic um just uh yeah a bit half baked uh, could it be split between two two different episodes yeah and obviously Chicago Strew Exchange oh my gosh uh, I'll just say if you don't know why I'm putting in at least favorite episodes. Just do me a favor and listen to the our, our review of that. I think I'll go next. And, well, we're going to keep beating dead horses because I just, I'm going to have to go with the desperate half hour and how to marry a moron. Those are, I think if I counted those two together, it's worse than Chicago Shoe Exchange. Um, but we're going to have to go with them separately. I just, even though I shouted out Trisha Cast and Chippy Trip Eston. Personally, for what they were trying to do, at least they had good energy. The episode was the episodes were trash. I just they they felt it was the longest, like 23, 22 minutes for each one that I felt like I had to sit through. And if you're gonna do a two part, you gotta do it better. It's just Go back, listen to our listen to our uh, our episodes on it. I don't want to beat that too much, but of course, number one is Chicago Shoe Exchange, and I'm sticking with what I said on that. It made me mad. It's not a, the worst episode ever made, but all someone had to do was just rearrange the schedule and not make that the last episode. It's again, I just ugh, I don't like it. Never liked it. Yo, Chicago Shoe Exchange. Yo, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, well, when I look back at my scores and I just look at the, I just look at the whole list here. Uh, one of the things I found funny was uh, both of the other teams, so Team Australia and Team Aerosmith. Like you guys went in and selected your episodes before I got a chance to. For Chris, so I feel like I got the shorter end of the stick on some of them, <laughs> but that wasn't much, saying much uh, based on what we had. A lot of the episodes that Chris and I covered really weren't, let's say, at the top of our list, I think, except for Crimes Against Obesity. Really enjoyed that one, but I'll get to that in a minute. Interestingly, A Babe in Toyland, I gave a lower score than Trash. I gave A Babe in Toyland a 1.5 and I gave Trash a 2, but... Overall, if just looking at, you know, if I have to pick, I, I would pick a babe in Toyland over trash as second, second worst. I mean, definitely Chicago Shoe Exchange is my number one that I don't like. Uh, and I would say probably trash is two and then followed by a babe in Toyland, because I think at least a babe in Toyland made a little bit more sense. If that can make any sense, like if, if it was a little more realistic from a story perspective than trash. That's what I'm going to uh, stand by. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Yeah, I can't help but notice most of these episodes take part, uh, happen in the, the second half of the season. And I'm just going to affirm that because uh, my third least favorite episode is probably Dan Bundy's. I know that might be a, a surprise 
well, not a surprise, but a contrast to uh, how you guys feel. But I just, I, I'm not a fan of that episode, and I just think it's way too gimmicky and schlocky, and you know, it's just a for a, a rating stunt that they did because uh, they were showing the mask on TV, so they had all these mask style effects. And, yeah, it could be fun, and you know, I'm not a football fan either, so it's just, you know, it just it's it's not my cup of tea, really. Then my my second pick would be trash. <laughs> What an apt title. It's not the worst episode I've ever seen. It's just not great. And for reasons that have already been mentioned. And, of course, number one is Chicago Shoe Exchange. Woo, slam dunk. And I have to give a dishonorable mention to A Babe in Toyland because I don't like it when Kelly's being a total bitch. <laughs> it just, I, I'm just not a, not a fan. Dishonorable discharge. <laughs> uh, some character assassination. Uh, you know, I don't know what the right term yeah. is, but again, you're playing against character. I call it character betrayal. Character betrayal. Yeah, because the thing is, Kelly is always sweet. Kelly can be dumb, but Kelly is generally sweet to people unless they insult her. Yeah, unless mm-hmm. it's like Bud or whatever. Yeah. But here she's just became a diva out of nowhere, and that goes against the character. And the worst yeah. thing is the show is built on the idea that crazy crap can happen. All you need is for her to get hit with a can and have, like, birds whistling, and then evil sounds play, and then she becomes a bitch, and I'm fine with it. Just have her get hit in the head again to turn her back. You know, I'm saying, like, I agree with you guys. Like, just all you got to do is... If you want to change a, a main character's whole character ways, you got to like give a reason. Magic spell, bonk on the head, anything. Slip on a bonbon. Yes. But there you go. Eggs <laughs> leaving them around all over the place. Hazard. I'll throw in, as dishonorable mentions, the desperate half hour, especially that one. And uh, Hannah Mary Moron, the desperate half hour, especially. That one was just, I did not like it. Desperate. Either. Let's flip the table and not end, but let's look at the positives, shall we? Yeah. So in rough, roughly the same order we just went in, what are your top three episodes of season 11 and any other honorable mentions? We're doing uh, like three, two, one then, right? Yeah. So your third favorite, second favorite, and your best, your most favorite is mentioned last Go ahead, Tyler. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, I shouldn't have spoke first. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this one's a lot more easier, So, but also a lot harder. It was easy to pick the top three, but it's hard to pick where I'm going to rate them. Um, Let's see. Because it's definitely going to be Twisted. And Oh, I'm sorry. Not Twisted. But Kelly's Got a Habit. So Kelly's Got a Habit's definitely one. And... Since they aired at the same time, can I count Requiem for a Chevy Part 1 and 2 as one episode? Or can I? do I have to count them as separate? Uh, they aired in different weeks, but um, yeah, and about oh, allow it. <laughs> you know what? No, no, screw that. I'm not going to change it. No, no, I didn't, I, I didn't count Desperate half, half Hour. I counted those as two, so I'm going to count these as two. I'm not going to switch it up. All right. So, yep, uh, Kelly's got to have it. So I'm going to go with Requiem for a Chevy Part 2 two as my top as number three just because even though 
the funeral made me laugh more than I had in weeks when they opened on a funeral. And specifically when I realized it was in the backyard, I don't know why, but I knew that car was in the ground and it just made me like almost tear with laughter. However, it kind of ran out of steam after that a little bit. But like I said, it was just, it was such a perfect connector to part one of Requiem for a Chevy Wait that I was just having a great time. It was one of the best part one to part two. There was nothing that was going to make me not watch part two. So just, I was going in strong. So we'll go to number two. Requiem for a Chevy Part 1. As I said in the intro, I'm a huge fan of Al and his car. For some reason, that is a through line of Al's character that I really dig. I love attachment to inanimate objects in a healthy and mature way, not in an unhealthy way like Bud and his blow-up doll. He should take better care of that thing. But... (laughs) (laughs) But like with Al and his car, just the obsession he has over it. And it was like, we have this as an opening joke and like, Ed, just keep doing it. Do your shtick. And when we run, when you run out of gas, we'll do the real episode. This, This car thing will just be a good intro. And he just never ran out of gas. And I loved it when the doctor came in and they were all the puns on the car stuff when the when the car squirted oil all over him i kept waiting for al to feel disgraced but he just goes she can't keep anything down i was like oh god it's just joke after joke after joke and the family was just going with it in their own weird way so yeah definitely really great for number two and finally number three I hope I did this right, uh, Annabelle. Number three is my top, top, top favorite. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is the good, good. Okay. This is my top favorite is Kelly's Gotta Have It. I love Kelly. And Kelly-centered episodes are usually the best in my mind. And uh, this one is uh, no exception. It basically, let's put Kelly Bundy in a nun outfit and twist that key in her back shove her out the door and let laughter begin and laughter entailed it's a wonderful episode go watch it guys and listen to our review on it so yeah that's uh those are mine you know tyler i agree with you on kelly's gotta have it that's my third favorite episode Oh, I forgot. I was going to mention my honorable mentions, and that was uh, the Stepford Peg, the Live Nude Peg, and Crimes Against Obesity. Those are my runner-ups. But then I go to Kelly's Gotta Have It. I love that one for more for the Al being the cop than Kelly having to abstain from sex. I mean, I still like that, but I just loved Al acting like a cop. My number two is Bud on the Side. I thought that whole episode was done very well overall because it involved the whole family. That's what I like it when when they're able to incorporate the entire family without adding in a B plot for Al and Peg to do one thing and the kids doing another thing. But they were all involved in this together. And my absolute favorite and kind of weird, I'm opposite of um, Annabelle, is Dan Bundy's. 
I thought that was hilarious. I mean, it's already gone Looney Tunes. Why not take it to the next level? I agree that uh, I didn't like that they did the gimmicky things and didn't give it a proper studio audience. I don't know, if, Annabelle, if you're a horror fan or not, but uh, I think that's one reason it resonated with me is uh, is Robert England, who stole every scene he was in. Yeah, well, he's the saving grace of that episode. From... Mm. All righty. Uh... So as for myself, looking at this, um, looking at this season, this final season here, my favourite episodes. I'll have to go for. Okay, this is no particular order. Kelly's got a habit. I mean, come on, Kelly being um celibate and playing a <laughs> nun. <laughs> Writes itself. <laughs> how, how can and how, oh, I mean, come on, just extra extra version olive oil. <laughs> Oh, that's just one of my favourites of uh, this season, definitely. Uh, I mean, if it was in, say, season four or five, we'd face different competition. But here, this is definitely one of my favourites in the season. Okay. Uh, I also quite liked... Uh, let's see. Oh, butt, butt on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, my, my wife got break rooms, but we know better than to get a big screen TV and a beer at work. I mean, you can't even drink beer at my work. So there's no way Al would work at my work. <laughs> and it's the third pick. Uh, Al works. <laughs> <laughs> More than Peggy. Oh, what does he? <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is tough. Uh, so, for, okay. Uh, maybe birthday boy toy? Uh, again, well, when you go to Jefferson being very insecure, uh, you know, reaching out to his good mate Peggy. <laughs> Griff absolutely trying to botch the um Gary Shoes commercial. <laughs> oh, that's a that, that's a good one. And honorable mentions, uh I'll have to mention the two parts of both halves are recruited for a Chevy weight. Uh not only for personal reasons, because obviously uh I watched um when I rewatched in 2020, as I know, my best mate passed away during when I rewatched the first half. But also, I mean, I love a dog, anything Dodge related or car related on the show. Uh, and, you know, trying to revive the Dodge, getting the parts of Cuba. <laughs> yeah, so honorable mention to Requiem for a Chevy Weight. Uh, those are my top picks of this final season. Fab. Luigi. So, one thing, you know, I want to point out and we said this, I remember, in earlier shows, uh, in earlier uh, season wrap-up shows. I think it might have been season six or seven that I participated in. And humor is very personal. So, uh, you know, I find it interesting, you know, each of us, you know, in our favorites, like we have favorites for different reasons. Like, in other words, Annabelle, you don't like Dan Bundy's, but Stephen really likes Dan Bundy's. And part of it has to do with, you know, what are your tastes and preferences, uh, for myself, I found, uh, I mean, there. I'll go through my my list first, but I'd say for number three, it's going to be Grime and Punishment. And you know, the reason why it's personally funny to me is because as a kid and even as an adult, you know, I always spent a lot of time with my dad or with my family working, like doing stuff like, you know, renovating a bathroom, like fixing, a ba- fixing up a basement, et cetera. So I think seeing it puts a comic effect tickles my funny bone. So that's why I like grime and punishment. So I know Chris didn't like it as much. That's one of the reasons why I like it. Uh, Kelly's got a habit. 
being a, a Catholic, I, I find Catholic humor funny. And, you know, they poked mm-hmm. fun at Catholicism uh, with the uh, with the nun. Almost the same as when uh, Buck dies in a Requiem for Dead Briard. So I I definitely appreciate that specific episode. And I was a guest for um, Stephen and Tyler on that one because it's like they throw darts at certain things, you know, and, and it's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't find it offensive. And that's what, you know, tickles my funny bone. So, but uh, I would say definitely my number one episode for uh, season 11 is Crimes Against Obesity. And I think that, you know, I really enjoyed that. That one, uh, Annabelle, you joined uh, Carolyn on that one. She wanted to review that as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's just because, hey, like we went back to the beginning. It was a great retrospective type episode. I think when you take the, it was probably about like two to three minutes worth of stuff on screen, which were just flashbacks. So it made for less work for them uh, making the episode, uh, even for me producing the episode. <laughs> but it was just because it's like, hey, this is the story of Al, you know, insulting women and they get revenge on him. And I think they did it very cleverly uh, with the courtroom scene. And, you know, you also have to appreciate the fact that all the actresses on that were in on the joke. <laughs> they wanted to make it funny. So that's, um, those are my top three. And and just to get back to like humor being very personal, like, especially if I look at Grime and Punishment, I remember I was probably, I'm going to say maybe around 12. So I might've been as young as 10 or no more than 13 years old. One time, you know, I was obviously a rabid fan of Married with Children back then, but we were renovating a bathroom and like, you know, we're ripping down the walls and taking out the toilet. And I think it was one of my uncles. There was a pink toilet in the bathroom and the toilet was probably made in the fifties. Right. (laughs) And he just looked at it. I don't think he'd ever watched the show. And he just looks at it as as we're ready, getting ready to take it out. And he's like, how the hell could someone take a crap on a pink toilet? (laughs) You know, and when I heard that, it's like I just like busted out laughing because then like I, it, it's a flashback to Al in his toilet, right? When and again, the line was is that you know you want the toilet to be cold and white, right? <laughs> you know, so like I said, I think in any of these things, and I think to the people listening to us, it's like you're going to have your favorites, and it doesn't just because there are favorites doesn't mean that they're your favorites. But comedy is very personal, so. When you look at these lists, it's like, well, you know, something is going to like, I mean, Chris really loved trash because he was in the National Guard, so he can relate to it, you know, even though I think the episode is trash, but that's besides the point, right? <laughs> but again, and that that's one of the things um, I find interesting. And actually, I got a question for you, Tyler, real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, of all of the uh, co-hosts and guest hosts this season, you're the only one to have actually given anything a five. And I think you did it three times based on our list here. Yeah. I smoke a lot of weed, so it happens. No, I'm no, you got that. <laughs> yeah. Cut that out. <laughs> Leave that in. It sure helps though. <laughs> but yes, uh, go ahead, Luigi. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm just curious. It's like, you know, so you actually found a few episodes. So you, Kelly's got a habit. You gave a five. Damn Bundy's and Live Nude Peg. Yes. At least in your review, you thought that they were rock star episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and most people didn't. But like, I mean, if you could, ju- if you don't mind, like why, like what really got you 
I guess, like what, what made you give them a five? I mean, without rehashing the whole episode, something inside of you said, Hey, like, I really think that this is spectacular. You're probably thinking guys like, well, he gave three five-star episodes. Why were two of those not in his top three? When I do my rewatches for these season wrap-ups, it's different than rewatch than when I watch them for when I record. When I watch them when I record, I'm actually being a critic, a.k.a. being a jackass, because <laughs> I'm nitpicking through this episode, which in a way that I would nitpick through a movie, which is not fair. But that's what we do. We have to fill up about... 50 minutes to like sometimes an hour and a half of like conversation about this stuff. So I really get on into it. So when I rate, it's different than pure enjoyment. Kelly's got a habit. Yes, I, I rated that a five. However, I enjoyed Dan Bundy's more than Kelly's got a habit, probably more so. Uh, but that's a personal enjoyment. I love campiness and kookiness and there are other episodes that i've rated really less that i also probably would rate higher than certain episodes that i rated higher so like for example i rated birthday boy toy i rated as a 4.5 i would probably enjoy watching a pundy thanksgiving over a birthday boy toy more on rewatches on my own personal time because I found I like Thanksgiving humor. And if you can pull that off and actually make me enjoy it, though that those are more fun to come back to. So it's, it's just different to me. Like I can find enjoyment in things that are different than how I rate them. So the three episodes that I rated five damn Bundy's and Kelly's got a habit and live nude peg i rated because they clicked with me in very specific ways that i think it showed the show strengths in ways that are not really shown as much as they could be in this season um a live nude peg it is going into my favorite relationship on the show alan peg and anytime they go into that kind of stuff i really enjoy it and this one was just perfect they were just like no al loves peg and finds her incredibly sexy she's just his wife can't do much about that (laughs) and kelly's got a habit well i'm not going to rehash that we all know why that one's amazing and then there's damn bundies which i love damn yankees and to show not just like we're doing a joke on the title but we are going to do damn Yankees, except change baseball with football. And literally, and Robert England maybe was told to marry with children it up. Please don't do the exact devil from damn Yankees. But he's like, no, I'm going to do that. And I love it. Uh, I love that he did. It worked out perfect. Another actor doing that performance, Annabelle, would probably not have been good at all. And I probably would have been on your side with that episode but still loving it a little more for its campy value. They went into it. They they went into that idea and they stuck with it. Others, I felt like they were like episodes that I would have given a three out of were probably ones that like the Bundy's Thanksgiving. They didn't go as far into it as they could have. So 
I think with season 11, my overall thesis for those three episodes, Luigi, is when you're in season 11, you need to pick something and you need to go with it. If you're married with children, the best thing you have going for you is you can go places another show can. You can beat a horse into the ground until you can't recognize it's a horse anymore. And it's like the rake, rake, R-A-K-E joke from The Simpsons. It's funny, then it's not really funny, and then you keep doing it enough times and it's funny again. I'm referring to Sideshow Bob getting hit in the face with a rake over and over and over and over again. Okay, yeah. I thought that was it. I wanted to emphasize that just in case people didn't know what I meant. But uh, yeah, like oh, it's, yes. it's that that type of humor is really funny. And Mary with Children can do that sometimes for what Simpsons did with one 15 to 20 second long scene. They can do it with an entire episode. It's one of their strengths and it's something that I notice now that that's what I click with when I rate things five out of five, their commitment to a bit. I hope I answered your question, Luigi. (laughs) That's fair enough. I mean, I for one did not give any episodes this season a five. The closest I got was 4.5 and a couple of fours here and there. But if I was to choose my top three of the season, I think I'll go number three is probably Grime and Punishment. I enjoy that episode a lot, and I probably can't really tell you why. I just like the idea of it. I think it's Peg's line, you know, you're my bitch now. (laughs) Well, that too, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, (laughs) yeah, no, that's good, good. Number two, especially if I'm factoring my ratings into it, every time you guys mention beating a horse i get kelly's quote in my head oh now you got butter horse (laughs) and that was mentioned in but on the site which i will probably put as my second choice again it's a similar vibe to grime and punishment and i don't know if that's uh, a thing or not but when i originally saw those two episodes they aired together on the same night this is back in 1998 and that's how I initially recorded them. So I would see those two episodes together and they had a sort of, sort of uh, a similar vibe. Maybe it's, you know, the whole family's being utilized or whatever it is. But the idea of Bud sleeping with Gary is, is, is one of those outrageous ideas that I guess they thought, well, like you said, they threw darts at everything and, and see what stuck. And it was probably inevitable. Bud's pretty desperate. Gary's probably desperate. <laughs> and what's funnier than Bud having a sugar mummy, a sugar mummy instead of a Kelly having a sugar daddy, which is a story we've already seen. Well, they've already touched on that anyway. So yeah, I did enjoy that episode. I think my number one pick is the Stepford Peg. I just have a soft spot for that episode. Anyway, it's one that I've, one of the season 11 episodes I've probably watched most often. There's enough Alan Pegg in there, a lot of Alan Pegg together, which is great. Again, it's one of those sort of obvious story ideas that is was probably bound to happen. And they finally did it because, of course, I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't they try and turn Pegg into a Stepford wife? But, you know, it's fun, it's cartoonish and everything. And, and of course, I picked as my intro is Marcy's iconic quote from that episode about Pegg. She's the laziest bitch in Chicago. 
And just as an honourable mention, I will say Crimes Against Obesity because, again, that's a, a stronger episode. And it was really fun to record that with, with Carolyn and Chris and Luigi. And I, I think that made me enjoy the episode even more because um, I think it was a good idea and it was great to have that callback with Diana Bellamy's character and that, that even went all the way back to the pilot. We may touch on the pilot a little bit down the track but yeah so that that was neat i just i just liked that but there's a lot of episodes i could put into the honorable mention category not a lot but like there's a handful that all very sort of they sort of rate about the same until you get to the really dire episodes but for that i'll, I'll just leave that as as my list I mean, it can be a bit interchangeable but they're probably the highlights for me from talking about our favorite murder children episodes let's go on to our favorite podcast episodes of this last season so anyone wants to kick us off we can talk about uh, the guests that we had our guest co-hosts that we've had on podcasts this does include the interviews even though we've already mentioned those at the top of the show if they're your favorite then sure mention them but your favorite podcast episodes that we've recorded this season who would like to go first i'll go first on that one you know, and I kind of divided into the ones I produced and the ones other people produced. So I'm going to start with the others. I loved the way Crimes Against Obesity was done. Maybe it's also because I really liked that episode. And I just thought it was put together perfectly. And I just enjoyed listening to it. And I've re-listened to it at least uh, uh, twice. Yeah, twice. Another one that really, and again, it's one I like, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if it was Matt or Annabelle, but I love the Stepford Peg. That was done perfectly, especially when you had those extra, all those extra pe- people on, like Carolyn and um, Luigi. You know, originally I wanted to do that one because I do like it a lot, but. Uh, you know, things changed and ended up with some others that became a surprise. So those are the my two favorite that uh, my fellow podcasters did. Now, the ones uh, I really enjoyed working on and creating in no particular order. I love working on Kelly's Got to Have. A lot of cultural references to bring in. I think that was part of it. And doing the flashbacks and... Um, so that was one of my favorites to do. And believe it or not, I really like doing a Bundy Thanksgiving. I know it's not the greatest episode. I only gave it a three. But I just like its connection to WKRP. And I was really glad that Alan was able to come on and join us for that one in the WKRP cast. Agreed. Mm-hmm. That was a great uh, addition. Yeah, he was amazing. And on top of that, it was kind of like I was thinking, how can I make the podcast episode more interesting than the episode itself? And I think that's, um, you know, a challenge, especially with this season, because we had a lot of duds. Anyway, so I like putting that one together. But I got to tell you, the one I had the most fun in putting together was Dan Bundy's. I had a ball with that one because there was so much to do. So much references and the conversations we got into. And by the way, Tyler, mm-hmm. I saw that uh, animated uh, thing about Dante's Inferno. Yeah. 
that uh, you mentioned, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was well done. And so thank you for that recommendation. I don't know if you saw me that thank you message I sent you or not. That was great. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I thought you'd get a kick out of it. It was a, uh, yeah, it was definitely a fun watch when I when it came out, and I re I'm going to rewatch it again soon. So. Yeah, if you're done, though, Stephen, I guess I'll go into mine, since uh, you kind of helped me decide mine, actually. I'll I'll admit it on this episode. I probably did the least amount of work uh, and was, like, the least involved in the uh, podcast creating out of all of our hosts. Everybody listening, Luigi and Stephen and Annabelle, Matt, Chris, all you guys have been like fire. I definitely like to add my, I think I add a nice spice to it, but all in all, like you guys are like the kings of this podcast. I bow to your like just dedication and the way you can keep it up with my job and a lot of personal stuff that's been happening in my life. I've just not been there emotionally or physically been able to like do as much as I want. All in all, that helps me figure out which episodes specifically are the most important to me and was and made it very easy. I'm going to pick in no particular order. Sorry, Annabelle, I can't really uh, categorize these. So these are okay. just the top three for reasons. Twisted. I was in a very bad place, Stephen, when we recorded that episode, physically and mentally. I was not in a very happy area where I was recording. I was recording remotely in another home that wasn't mine with lots of sound and Wi-Fi problems that I was worried about. And also just emotionally, I wasn't really doing well at that time. Halfway through that recording, Stephen and Stefan just kept me going through that. And by the end of it, I was feeling really, really, really good. Like it was a therapeutic episode. I know I only gave it a 2.5, but it was like a, man, that was good. Given that episode, some crap. Oh, that felt good afterwards. So I just, I just felt good. So that has to be in my list. The next one would be a lesbian friends. Luigi sent me a message when that episode was finished. Like, I remember him getting his message in the group chat going, Lesby Friends is up for uh, listening. And I was like, all right. I'm, I was at work at the moment, like knee deep into in crap that I had to do. And I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm by myself now. I popped my headphones in and just listened to that through our uh, shared Google Docs and Boy, that was fun. And I was just like, man, I got to get my ass home and watch that episode. It was cool. It was just like one of those where I was, I wasn't listening to it to like really even review it. I was just kind of, I went from reviewing it or like peer editing it, I guess, to full on just, holy crap, I'm just an audience member right now. <laughs> this is cool. And my third Chicago Shoe Exchange. Again, I know. It, I'm picking ones that I hated. But uh, that was just so much fun to record. To have, uh, first off, to have Alex on was great. And it had just been a long time since, like, all of us were on a recording together. And it felt, it just felt really good. It really reminded me, like, like really made some friends on this podcast. We're not just podcast co-workers were also buddies and uh, 
it, it just it, it felt good at the end of the uh it was the end of 2022 when we recorded it uh, i was feeling very nostalgic and uh looking back i was it was a really uh it was a really good episode i enjoyed it immensely recording it not watching it i'm glad recording has been such a, a positive thing for you tyler so that's nice so positive yeah yeah you know real quick uh i want to say that one thing I left out about Dan Bundy's was me changing the intro music. I don't know if the audience realized what was playing in the background. It was Alice Cooper's Go to Hell. <laughs> and I thought that would be a lot more appropriate than the Anthrax song. Yep. And I bounced it off everybody and they seemed to say, yeah, go with it. And I thought, you know, that, that really hit the nail on the head. Alice Cooper's Go to Hell. And even Alex liked that idea. And I think the creativity shows also because last night I was looking through some old um, on the YouTube channel, the old uh, older uh, podcast episodes. And, you know, the first three to five seasons, most of them are only about an hour and 10 minutes at most. Some are only yeah. about 49 minutes. And we've made it grown to be, you know, two, two and a half hours sometimes. Uh, that's yep. my cutoff. I think if it's more than two and a half hours, they start to lose interest. I think that's a, a fun way to keep people's attention is to add in these little extras, the flashbacks and the commercial stuff from the old time when on the references. So anyway, I'll shut up now so we can uh, get on to other people and their thoughts. No, but Stephen, you're right. I mean, breaking it up, putting in additional stuff, media is always great. It's always a question of whether or not like it, it fits in with it. And I think, you know, particularly like in seasons nine and 10, we had a lot more opportunity for that. Not so much with this season, but, you know, again, I think we were all creative. Could I also tack on to what you were saying, Luigi, and to just, just to build Steven up right there, a listeners, anybody out there who's thinking of starting their own podcast or would like to guest on future episodes, if they, if we have them on ours, on our channel, or just wants to produce their own. Steven is absolutely right. This allows you to put your own personal touches and into a recording because yeah, what we're saying, what I'm saying right now is great, but those little tiny music numbers, little jokes, the way you mix things certain way, it's what sets your podcast apart from everybody else's. So definitely take notes, guys, while you're while you're listening. For Chris and I, almost every single podcast episode this season had a guest co-host, uh, except for one, and that was because the person was not available at the last minute. But in but pretty much, we had a different co-host, and it was sort of like the your favorites from the last few seasons, from back going back to season eight. And everyone was great. Really enjoyed uh, people with different perspectives. I'd say crimes against obesity. I I enjoy it because anytime Carolyn is on, I really really enjoy her take on things because you know she's a super fan. She's been a super fan for a long time. Uh, she and Annabelle go back uh, many years, so it's great to hear them together talking about things that they've been talking about for you know twenty five plus years. You know, and I always get excited when we do those. I really enjoyed doing trash and that was with Lou Jones and producing that episode. Like I said, even though like I didn't like it so much as an episode producing it and the stuff that we added, all the mash stuff that I added into it, uh, the ending music 
to mash before we cut to married with children, the love and marriage at the end. That's fun. I, I can't really say I had one that I disliked, but that was, um, I mean, they were all really good episodes. Um, and actually even the jugs have left the building, you know, that one, again, that was with my friend, Sheila, we're all great. But in terms of also other ones, you know, that I enjoyed listening to, I will say I did enjoy Bundy Thanksgiving immensely. Uh, Alan Stair, I thought was a great addition. God rest ye merry Bundyman. <laughs> I thought that was great that uh, Team Australia put together as well. And also Dan Bundy's. I mean, I, I just think the way it was put together, even though like I'm not, it's more of like a three type of episode for me. And you sort of the twist. It's like, that is just like, they just took the same story of damn Yankees and just made it to Al Bundy. But to me, it's not as genius as the season four Christmas episode. You know, well, it's, I would agree, it's, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful life because I mean, just turning the whole thing where it's like <laughs> with Al not exist, not existing anymore <laughs> and just seeing that everyone's life is happy. I mean, it's just the complete opposite of it's a wonderful life. So that was just genius as to like how, you know, they portrayed that and then how they convince Al to live. The writing on that, again, that, that that to me is masterful. So when you're doing something that is just pretty much, you know, following the norm, even the Stepford peg to some extent, like you're sort of following the norm, maybe you're paying homage to it, is not as funny as when like you turn it upside down and, you know, do something fresh with it. Good. How about you, Matt? All right. So favorite podcast episodes, obviously Chicago Shoe Exchange. Uh, I just loved sledging it like we do with Enemies in season 10. Not, I didn't quite enjoy sledging that one as much as Enemies, but it was still awesome to just um, absolutely tear Chicago Shoe Exchange to ritual shreds ripping up the shoes of that episode. Uh, other, let's see, podcast. Okay, uh, once I was on, I would have to go with the Raccoon for a Chevyweight uh, two-parter. Again, well, uh, Chris Nonis is really into that one. <laughs> <I remember, laughs> yes, he really loved the um, bits about Cuba in that one, I remember. And I just loved, uh, you know, anal analyzing that one. Uh, oh, Dan Bundy's, um, for one, I wasn't on. Uh, simply, you know, the different music at the start. Everyone was really, really, really into it. So those have been my uh, favorite uh, podcast episodes off the top of my head from this season. Very good. As for myself, again, it's sometimes your least favorite episodes can can result in some of your favorite podcasts. Mm -hmm. Most favorite. Though I'm not a fan of Dan Bunny's the episode, I really enjoyed listening to that podcast with all the touches you put up, put on it, Steve. Thank you. And the same goes with Chicago Shoe Exchange. It was fun to record with all seven of us. I say all seven. It's six of all six of us plus Alex. That's a thing in and of itself to have us all in the same room together, in the jiggly room together, and recording together um, and, and sort of riffing on the episode a little bit. But then when it came out a couple of weeks ago, just to see what Luigi did to it in the production, I just thought it was very well produced from someone who always does an exemplary job. So it's just like, I just liked all the touches on that as well. Well, thank you, Annabelle. And I just want to say, I, I honestly, all I really did was, you know, I moved a couple of things around in terms of placement and I added that very mournful, you know, love and marriage thing. Like, like that was mm -hmm. actually one of the more simpler ones to produce. 
you know, like, I, like I said, I, I appreciate it, but you know, it was more of a sentiment. Like I just wanted to get a sentiment across, but uh, you know, cause I mean, sometimes when we produce, like we're going, we're looking for commercials and we're doing alternate music, music for another, a sitcom, like with lesbian friends, I did all the Patty Duke stuff. But, you know, that one was, like I said, just I, I felt like we just needed to do a sentiment. This is the last one. And, you know, what could I find out there that had a sentiment that I wanted to express? And that was it. You know, so uh, but thank you for that. And I hope other people appreciated that as well. Yeah, well, for me, certainly, I think that came across. So, yeah, that was that was a good one to listen to. Uh, honorable mention to the Stepford Peg. It's just fun to record one of your favorite episodes. And I think that's the last episode I actually edited and produced in full from beginning to end. So it just shows you how busy I've gotten in late last year. But it was fun to put that together and quite quick as well. So I don't know what that means, but it was just fun to find, have all the clips and things and, you know, you have a vision and you put it together. So that was nice to produce that one. Oh, I was going to say, you were talking about, talking about inserting things. I, I remember when uh, you and I and Tyler were doing the uh, Adam Maria Moron and your mm-hmm. internet cut out, and then you finally came back, and originally <laughs> I was going to cut all that out. And I loved it. it you know, and that's one of those things, you know, it's like ad-libbing in a, yes. in a way. You think, okay, how can I make this interesting? And then I thought of Todd Flanders saying, oh, my freaking ears, and placing that after every explanation. You know, <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i just wanted to no i did <laughs> i did like that that was fine <laughs> but yeah and, and that that was fun to record i mean there's nothing that was bad to record or anything like that and um, some are more interesting or unexpected than others but probably my favorite to record of the whole season is um crimes against obesity again like louise said with carolyn when i heard that she was going to do it i thought Oh, I gotta talk. I gotta talk to Carolyn again before the show ends. I mean, if my um, roundtable female roundtable doesn't go ahead, I would have at least have talked to Carolyn one more time. And like Luigi said, we go back a ways, but Carolyn goes back even further than I do. And it's just fun to hear her talk about the olden days, quote unquote, of you know the early days of the internet and all that, and just um, her knowledge and 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 everything of the show and of the time period and and of the internet back then. It's just it's just great, always great to talk to her. And you know, I'm all for getting more women on on board, of course. So that was probably the most fun to to talk about with the four of us there. So they're probably my highlights. But that being said, there's no there's no bad podcast episodes. This is just some that just stand out a little bit more than others, perhaps. I must say, I, lo- I really like Carolyn. You know, aside from Stefan, she was my favorite guest, of course. I don't know if you could say Stefan was a guest anymore. <laughs> He's pretty much it. a co-host at this point. He's a guest yeah. that won't leave now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have had several guest co-hosts this season, mostly people that we've had in previous seasons except for, I think, perhaps just Alan Stair. So does somebody not named Annabelle want to read out the list of all our co-hosts this season? Okay, so uh, in order of appearance in this season, we had uh, Carl Meyer, 
Uh, well, actually, um, we had well, we had Stefan first, but he's as we mentioned, uh, he's basically a co-host these days. We had Carl Meyer from Arizona. We had Chris Nonus, the biggest married to children fan in the Australian state of Victoria. We had Alan Stair. We had Sheila. We also had, uh, as I already mentioned, Carolyn. We let's see, continuing the list, we had Alyssa. We also had a man called mm. Lou, Lou Jones on Trash. We also had Steve Owen in his final appearance, the biggest Married to Children fan in the st- Australian state of New South Wales. And uh, that appears to be it, unless I missed anyone. No, I think that's it, except for having Alex on the final episode. Yeah. Oh, yes, Alex is returning in, in, in Chicago, Stuart Exchange. Yeah, a lot of recurring guest hosts, which uh, I think speaks volumes about uh, the fans of the show, fans of our podcast. They seem to like us. They stick around, or they just want to be on a podcast. Who knows? But, but no, they're all. Everyone's lovely and 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 great with scheduling and everything because we're dealing with a lot of different time zones here. So yeah, it was nice to have everybody back for this final season. And personally, for Matt and myself, when we did the breaking up is easy to do trilogy. Well, first of all, we wanted to record with Stefan because we hadn't yet, and we had to do it that season and that was the perfect episode to do it so following on from that when we couldn't do part two with him we i went to carl because i mr wildcat as he's known on youtube shout out mr wildcat so we wanted to record with him as well and he was absolutely happy to to record with us so i thought okay let's get a different guest for each of the three parts and since part three was the last episode that matt and i that team australia was going to record and produce we had to get Steve Owen back because he's, he's one of our favorites and, you know, he's Australian and he's, again, he's got so much knowledge and uh, he's very funny. And as you know, we couldn't complete the show or the season without him. So it was nice to have those three gentlemen on, on a separate part of that particular trilogy. All right. So if that's all, we'll go on to statistics in which case I'll hand you over to Luigi. Okay. For those of you who remember, statistics is something we started in season seven, I believe, at the on the season seven wrap-up show. What I tried to do is try to actually take all of the ratings that we've done from the beginning, just to see overall as a team how the teams have all rated a season. And we, I went back all the way back to season one. Now, mind you, the teams have changed through the years. So uh, seasons one through three were... The original cast of Alex, Jerry, and JP. Then from around season four through the end of season seven, it was Alex, Dan, and Jamie. And then from seasons eight through 11, it's the current cast, uh, the six of us, <laughs> as uh, as I refer to us as. Although, interestingly, uh, Chris and myself never got like a moniker. We have Team Australia and Team Aerosmith, so we never really came up with something for uh, Chris and I. Team Q-Ball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Tyler, you should have come up with that, I guess, in season nine. Then we could have uh, used that. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> we'll go back in and we'll change. We'll, we'll insert it in into, into old episodes. <laughs> For season 11, the overall score is, drumroll, please. It is a 3.17. So 
out of five. And we compare that to last season, which was a 3.52. If we just go back to the rank, you know, and I'll just give you the highs and lows. So this was the lowest ranked season of all. The highest ranked season of all was season five with a 4.26, followed by season four with a 4.25. To rattle off from season one, we have a season one, 3.83, season two, 3.97, season three, 3.86, season four, 4.25, season five, 4.26, season six and seven were a 4.2, season eight was a 3.98. Season nine was a 3.66. Season 10 was 3.52. And season 11 was a 3.17. So it has declined since we took over. I mean, sort of like plateaued from four through seven. uh, We just had a gradual decline. And this was the worst rated season of all. Three, four, and five should have been rated higher, just FYI, in my opinion. (laughs) Oh, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes. That's a story for another day. Yeah. Yes. We have to do something about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they did not like the a dump of my own for some reason or other. Like that to me <gasps> was a straight five. But <laughs> again, we're not going to uh, go uh, uh, beat up Alex on that one. But yeah. Ah, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting to wrap things up. So um, I think we've concluded that um, <laughs> Chicago Shoe Exchange is the worst episode of this season and 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 some of us you know is it the worst episode ever no i i personally don't think it is but some of you were slightly more vicious on its reviews than others so if it's not the worst episode ever what is and how would this rate amongst we can touch on this more in next week or next the next episode in the series wrap-up show but just your gut reactions now i mean chicago shoe exchange is it the worst episode ever or is it you know the second worst third worst or what do you think just just quick gut reactions okay for myself i would say uh going to my head definitely um chicago shoe exchange is the worst with enemies being the second worst so easy decision for me yeah i second that I can't remember if I was saying this off air or not, but I recall, you know, what I thought is that Chicago Shoe Exchange, or Enemies, was around trying to insert a new um, a new spinoff, new characters, different characters. The big problem I have with Chicago Shoe Exchange is that these were the characters of the show. Mm. And I thought they treated them really bad in that aspect, so... That's how I felt. Why? Why I think it's worse than enemies. Yeah, that's a very good point. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, I'm gonna have to stick with what Stephen just said. Like, I just, I rarely ever leave an episode with a bad taste in my mouth, but Chicago's Shoe Exchange gave that to me. And as bad as any of the other episodes might have been, if it makes me mad, not like happy mad like Kelly breaks out where that was just a lot of fun to get mad at. This was just like, come on, man, really? So to be put out like that by this show really left it in my mouth. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree for the most part. Uh, I would put enemies as the, as the worst and have this second worst. And I, I did give him enemies half a point less than Chicago shoe exchange, but I, I don't like either episode at all, but I certainly see Steven's, point in um 
that this is, you know, the regular cast as opposed to a spin-off and the whole episode just felt so drained of any well anything basically. And I brought this up because this is the final episode of Married with Children that gets shown of the season of the entire show. It was not the last episode to be produced. So Chicago Shoe Exchange was the 21st episode of season 11 to be produced. So in between, it was produced in between Dan Bundy's and Lesby Friends. And those two episodes aired together on the same night. And Chicago Shoe Exchange feels like it, it got forgotten about. To me anyway, but because uh, it aired a lot later. So it aired on June 19th, uh, sorry, June 9th, 97, after The Desperate Half Hour and How to Marry a Moron aired more than a month earlier. And How to Marry a Moron was the last episode to be produced. So that was 11.24. And I mentioned that because the last lines in that episode come in a nice little family moment. Whereas in the Chicago Shoe Exchange, the last line is not given by a regular and the last shot we see is Al next to a monkey, both with their hands down their pants. So I prefer to look at How to Marry a Moron and we've got, you know, you know Kelly's wedding doesn't go through. It was debatable whether or not that was going to happen being the last episode, but um, no one really sure was sure that it was going to be the last episode. But there is a nice exchange there like, oh, Kelly saying, you know, She's still got her loved ones around her. It's like, not you. It's a little bit of a Bundy moment. And it's just interesting to line up Kelly having the last line of the season to be produced in production order. And don't forget, she also had the first line way back in the pilot. So that was a nice bookend. Um, if you're a ner- if you're a nerd like me, yeah. Yeah, there there was a, a book like um there was a, a book. I actually have it. It's it's like a uh, hundred things about married with children or like or something. It's a small paperback, which I probably got about twenty years ago. And it said, for the true married with children nerd, like what's the first, what's what's the first word spoken by in in the, in the whole series, and what's the last word? Who's the person? Mm-hmm. What are the words? So technically, the answer is let and them in the pilot and in how to marry a moron spoken by Kelly. Again, that's if you go in production order, but because of the the strange thing that we discussed about Chicago Sioux Exchange as episode 259, it's sort of out of sequence. But I think the intention was always that it was those Kelly lines. But that's just to to back you up on that. Yeah. And and that's reflecting the whole season because the the whole production order of season eleven and the air order. It's completely contradictory. Well, not completely, but it's completely, it's out of whack. So, you know, the first episode is twisted and that wraps up, you know, Griff's almost electrocution from at the end of season 10 and how he got out of prison. But that was produced third. So there's two episodes before that, that they before they even got to that. So that's, you know, with scheduling and, and, and whatever else and, and information we're not privy to. And then the whole 
order of the season. It's just we don't really we can't really say what's going on there. It's just you know new new team behind the scenes, probably new rules with the show. They've got to show certain episodes here and sweeps and and whatever else. But like just the order for someone who follows the show in production code order, sometimes I have to double check the 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 episode number because it goes by air order and it's a bit of a, a head trip sometimes. But I'm just annoyed that that episode was the last one we saw. Yeah. And, and Annabelle, the, one of the other things I want to point out about season 11, it was the one season that had the most multi-part episodes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Requiem for Chevy Weight, part one and two, Breaking Up is Easy to Do, one, two, and three. You can really say that the Desperate Half Hour and How to Marry a Moron were two parts of a bigger episode because it follows a whole story arc. On the flip side, in terms of the airing, it was also strange that you also had the most, I think, one-hour specials that did not necessarily correspond to like a a two- or three-parter. For example, England, you know, was three-parter, and I think uh, it was really England and Breaking Up is Easy to Do, if I'm not mistaken. But it's like interesting, like if you look at the air dates on them, you have uh, Breaking Up is Easy to Do Part 1 and 2 on February 24th of 97, and then the Part 3 aired the following week. Then you also have Dan Bundy's and Lesby Friends as effectively two separate episodes airing for a one-hour special. And then you have the Desperate Half Hour and How to Marry a Moron airing together. So it it was just interesting Mm -hmm. how they, they aired it. Because I know we've gotten a few comments about Chicago Shoe Exchange on the Facebook page talking about, well, you know, like, like, I mean, even we talked about it. It's just very strange that almost a month later, like this last episode came out. And, you know, even though we had the quote unquote season and series finale, what happened with this last one? And we have our theories, but (laughs) I mean, I guess we'll never know unless we maybe get Pamela Ells on. Right. Yeah. So we can speculate as much as we like but yeah a lot of double episodes and it just felt like they were not rushing it but like maybe i think fox had given up by this point and they were burning off the episodes for some of it but then for the breaking up trilogy the first two episodes they advertised that as the special 250th episode of married with children and then with damn bunnies and lesbian friends they promoted the hell out of that as well with um, coinciding with the airing of the mask. They made a week of it on Fox. And then the final episode, quote unquote, the the two-parter, Desperate House Hour and How to Marry Moron, that got publicity as well because that was saying goodbye. And then it's like, oh, there's another random episode we haven't seen yet. So why advertise a last, final episode, a two-parter, but, oh, wait, there's more. So, Yeah. And one more thing I want to point out to the fans of the podcast, you know, we even we made some mistakes this past uh, season because we even got confused between Dan Bundy's and Lesby Friends, because if you look at it on IMDb, I think Lesby Friends shows up first. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, we ha- and some other sources had it second. And it was actually Annabelle who had to set us right because she found the promo for it which showed the original airing order so we know it was on the same day it's just which one came first yeah Uh, so i think even our outro for uh for damn bundies is incorrect because when we had recorded it we still hadn't figured all of that out so um i said it's just a strange season and even some of the information out there is contradictory yeah it's odd and for the record damn bundies did air first that night and if you look on youtube you you'll find the evidence okay Okay, so 
that almost wraps things up. Is there anything we have missed or you want to mention? Are there any standout special moments that we haven't mentioned? I say moments, they're not necessarily episodes or recordings, just, you know, any little bits that you'll you'll take away from this season at all, anything like that, speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, I I just want to make, I don't want my last statements on this recording to be how much I hated Chicago Shoe Exchange. (laughs) Like I said on my recording with it, if I was to move that episode away and not have it be the season and series finale, it's a whatever episode. Like it, it, it's 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 sketchy. It's weird. I'm not gonna lie. I did kind of dig the ending with Al and the chimp. I don't know. It was kind of cute. That chimp with any other character on any other television show would have made me mad. For some odd reason, it kind of works with Al Bundy. But my main issue is, and everyone keeps saying it wasn't the last episode. It was. It wasn't supposed to be. Blah blah blah. But it was. That's like me going, no, 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 teacher, I swear, I, I meant to turn in this paper, but I turned in the other one. So uh, I get a grade back, right? No, y- you turned in the wrong one. Unfortunately, I graded it based on that, so that's why you, you failed. It doesn't change the fact that you, st- that you still failed. So I just I wanted to be very, very frank. The acting and the energy by the characters... And the team was fine. I mean, it was Mary with Children. It was familiar. It was there. It was just the position of where the episode was being released in relation to the end of the seasons itself. And again, they can't control that. So I guess I'm hating on Fox more than anything from back then. And you know what? I'm going to say it up front. All networks, take better care of your shows. I don't give a crap what this show means to you, but like 11 seasons, this show made your network. I mean, okay, this show started your network. Simpsons made the network, but this show was was your start. This show got you ratings. This show got you seen, and it did it dirty at the end, and I just really want to put that out there like Mario children deserved more it deserves to be remembered it deserved more it deserved its own like she's give it like a 40 minute like special like C- series ending the if you're going to cancel it all right well here let's do a series ending i bet if they asked the cast would have done it if you recall in in the interview with michael moy we did ask that question and he said that had they known that it was the end. He and Levitt would have come back to do the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it really came down to economics. Uh, I think Fox was just pr- probably trying to promote some new shows. Then it becomes a chicken or the egg scenario. Like what came first? Was it the, the poor ratings in season 11? Or was it because of the bad writing <laughs> that the ratings became poor in season 11, right? Or both of the above. I'm not saying the show didn't deserve to be canceled. Like, uh, back then, yeah, I, I mean, look at our ratings. Like, yeah, like, it it was it was losing steam, and it, it should have gone out. 
but they did it dirty. It should have went out better. I've seen so many better series endings that just make you feel good when they end. This didn't. And it made me upset. And, and yeah, and I guess what I'm trying to say, Tyler, is, you know, was it truly dirty? Uh, you know, not that I, I don't think it might have been, but I said in, in, my, in the way I look at it is they may have gotten toward the end of season 11 and said, you know, I mean, the executive is Fox. Like, we don't know if we're going to pick it up for season 12. And the economics might have just been that. It's like, oh, hey, first of all, the the the, the, the cast was making big bucks on this. What else could we explore with this to come up with storylines for another 24 or 26 episodes? And it might have been too late for them to to really plan a series finale, because usually with a series finale, you would think that they would start like they would have said at the end of season 10. You know what? Season 11 is the last season. So now let's start planning this because you effectively have to write at least half of the season has to be written in a very short period of time, right? And then you're sort of playing catch up until you get to shooting and producing them. So I just think that they came to the conclusion very late in season 11. The writing was already done. Probably the the, the scenes were already shot and they were sort of stuck. So they took this wedding of Kelly and promoted it as the series finale. And that was the end of it. And again, it's like, and then Chicago Shoe Exchange was just like this extra one. Like, I, like I, my opinion is it was in the catalog. They had to hit a certain date in May for for airing the finale. And then that was it. It's like, okay, well, here we go. They went into summer reruns and this is what got put up. So I, I think that it was, I don't think it was anything sinister. I don't think it was anything malicious. I just think that that's probably what had happened. It's worse in my personal. I agree with you, Luigi, and that's worse. It isn't anything sinister, and it's not. It probably wasn't anything malicious. It was just indifference, an indifference towards a show on Fox's end. And I'm making an assumption on this. I am literally making an assumption based on the interviews that we've had, based on our own research, and based on what we see happening with network television leading up to today, is just you need to care about your shows that are very important that if you have a show that hits double digits seasons, people care about it. There, there's some, there's investment into it. All I'm saying is this. I'm not saying that the show needed to go to season 12. I get that they came to it at the end. Economics totally understand everything you're saying. And again, I'm not saying that the show didn't deserve to be canceled. It was running out of storylines. It was running out. I couldn't really write, write up any new episodes in my head of where they could go. But all I'm saying, the Waltons had a Walton's Christmas after the, like (laughs) a year or two after the show was canceled to give kind of a closure to the, uh, to the overall family and everything and to the people who were watching it. Now, whether that was a moneyless cash grab or anything, whatever, but for fans, I think you would have loved that. I'm just thinking it would have been nice to have an actual real ending that allowed the writers and the actors who were all knew each other very well. Like you, it probably was super easy to make these episodes. Like all the actors knew how to talk with each other and where to stand and do cues and work off of each other. Like it must've been just a perfect formula at that at that time. And they probably could have, squeezed out a really 
an A for effort kind of ending that felt more like an ending. So again, it's a personal opinion, but that's how I felt about uh, Chicago Shoe Exchange. And I just wanted to really elaborate on why, what made me upset with that specific episode. No, I mean, I think it's a good point, and it's nice, Tyler, that you, you, you've ended on a positive, shall we say. Again, we could we, we all have our theories on on what happened and how, I mean, did Fox, uh, like, and how much Fox was involved and how much they cared and, and everything else, and I think that it boils down to, uh, the scheduling was all over the place for the last season as well. It moved from Sunday to Saturday, back to Sunday a bit earlier than Mondays, it was really weird. And I, I think what it boils down to is that we never got a proper finale. And that seems to be a, a craw and some like that seems to get stuck into people a lot, including the cast. But I, were they heartbroken that there wasn't a season 12? Probably not. Television's weird, right, Annabelle? Like television has always been weird. The love weird between the shows, the love for the shows really falls between the audience and the people making it. Sadly enough, very rarely networks really care. Networks care about one thing, and that's the big R and the big I'm doing the money thing with my hand. Um, and when <laughs> the, the money thing, thing means the, tech- <laughs> the finger thing means the money. Yeah. Like yeah. the money, like once the money stops, once rating stops, once ad revenue stops, it, well, the show did kind of make our network, but F you. Bye. Like, that's pretty much how I feel. I don't, anytime a network executive comes out and has been like, I cared about this show. No, you didn't. You cared about all the money you were going to make and how it was going to elevate your career. No, no, no. We care about the show. David Faustino and Christina Applegate cared about that show. The people who were there every day making it and putting their faces out on there cared and i really feel like there's uh, there's another podcast that can talk about the stuff deeper but it's something that was a problem back then and it's a problem now with just how just malicious they treat really nice television that you invest so much of your time and energy in and like like right now i'm still crying about kyle xy how i didn't (laughs) how that show blue balled me with like such an amazing turnaround like the episode the episode the whole series the whole season the whole show ended with a character who had been passive for five seasons finally punching somebody and looking like a fight was going to start and then the show was canceled and i'm like are you kidding me are you kidding me and it's just it can almost have a traumatic effect on your psyche. Like it's like trying to finish a book that you're really into and then realizing the last chapter had been ripped out. So it's to put that in perspective of people who are more of, they're like, Oh man, this guy obsessed with TV. What's wrong with him? Okay. How about books? All right. We all love books. Can't hate me on books. So yeah, it's like about having the last chapter of your book ripped out and you'll never get to see it. It's just a bother. And this show and so many others deserve better. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. Bad Fox. (laughs) Bad Fox. Bad Fox. (laughs) 
Bad fox, bad fox. <laughs> what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad fox, bad fox. Chicago Shoe Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something to talk about in the series wrap up show is the overall ratings for the show. You know, Definitely. started off. Uh, if you look at Wikipedia, you know, season one started off fairly low in the ratings, but then it peaked and then it went down again for season 11. But that's for the next episode. Yeah, definitely talk about it then. Sitting in the porch swing, listening to the light rain, beating on the tin roof, baby, just me and you, rocking with the rhythm of the rain. Hello, everyone. It's your friend Chris Gunter here, and coming to you today. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the recording with the rest of the group, but I did want to weigh in on season 11, the final season of my all-time favorite sitcom, Married with Children. And before I get into uh, my episode rankings and things like that, I did want to give just kind of an overview on my thoughts of season 11. And those of you who have followed myself and Luigi since I joined Luigi in season 8, you've probably heard me refer to the show's three acts. Act 1 being season 1 through 5, Act 2 being seasons 6, 7, and 8, and Act 3 being 9, 10, and 11. Well, each one of these acts has its good and its bad, its positives and its negatives, no doubt. Act 1, I think most people consider the Holy Grail, you know, the, the classic era, the golden era. Act 2 being kind of a transitional era where the show transitions into its final seasons. And then Act 3 being the final act of the series. And some of the positives about Act 3 are the characters that we get introduced to. Amber, Griff, Ariel, Bob Rooney, Ike, Officer Dan, Miranda, Vera Cruz, De La Hoya, Cardinal, just to name a few. There's so many great characters in Act 3. One of the negatives about the third and final act is that the writing overall takes a hit. And we see that to the extreme in season 11. In season 11, one thing I will say is that we still do get some of our classic characters that we love. Griff, of course, Gary, uh, we see Ariel once. I believe we see Miranda Veracruz, De La Hoya Cardinal once as well. So we do get those characters. However, the writing is what really takes a dip in season 11. And We've spoken about this throughout season 11. Where writing really missed the mark is it seemed like the writers didn't know the characters. And I'll use a quote that, that Carolyn, our good friend Carolyn Crapo, used once referring to Kelly. You know, Kelly is one of our beloved characters. We all know and love her. One of her traits is she's a buffoon. <laughs> she's not very smart. She's a dummy. She's an idiot. We all know that. But in the past... Kelly's idiocy has been written in brilliant ma manner that, that's funny. Whereas in season 11, Kelly seems to be so dumb that you literally have to remind her to breathe. Whereas that's not necessarily funny. <laughs> it comes off corny and, and stupid in, in many ways. And you could say this about every character. I mean, the, the writers that they have in place, it was almost like a, a carousel from episode to episode you know I, I was looking at the at the breakdown of the episodes right now 
you have a few repeats, but just about every episode, there's a different writer. So you can't really have continuity in the writers understanding the characters when you have a new writer or a new set of writers almost every single episode. And we saw that the the writers don't really know these characters. And, you know, I'm not picking on Kelly uh, at all. It's really all the characters. And I've said this before many times, Luigi and myself have said this, that no amount of great acting can make up for poor writing. Ed O'Neill, Katie Seagal, Christina Applegate, David Faustino, Amanda Bierce, Ted McGinley, these are all incredibly gifted actors, but no amount of great acting can make up for poor writing. And that's really what missed the mark, I think, in season 11. With that said, season 11 does absolutely have its bright spots. It does have a handful of solid episodes, and it has a few gems in there as well. Interestingly enough, I decided to make a diagram uh, when I was preparing for this, and I put all of the episodes that I like on the left side of the diagram, all the episodes I don't like on the right side. And by like, I'm talking about what I would rate a three or better on a scale of five, and dislike would be a 2.5 or lower. And interestingly enough, it may come as a surprise, there were actually 10 episodes on the like side. So there were 10 episodes that I that I rate that I think I would rate a 3 or better. Most of these are 3s. There's a couple of 3.5s and 4s. But there are 10 episodes on the like category. However, on the dislike category there are 14. <laughs> so that weighs it down quite a bit. And I will tell you, a number of these dislikes are not 2.5s. <laughs> they're they're significantly lower than that. <laughs> so there are some stinkers and some clunkers. So 10 on the like side, 14 on the dislike side. And I, and I will tell you, the, the 10 that I rated, on, that I put on the like side of the category, some of those are due to personal bias. Like I have trash on that side, and I'm well aware that a lot of people don't like that episode, but it's on my like side. I also have the Jugs Have Left the Building on there. Everyone knows I'm a Southerner who likes country music, I, and I certainly understand there's some people that don't like the Jugs because it's goofy and corny. But truthfully, if we're being honest, you could say that about literally all 24 episodes of season 11. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at at this juncture of the show. But at any rate, I wanted to talk about my favorite episodes, my least favorite episodes, some of my favorite uh, guest stars, and how I would have ended the series if it would have been me. But at any rate, let's talk about my favorite episodes. My third, and, and, and the number three spot for favorite episodes, is The Jugs Have Left the Building. I really enjoyed that episode. I love country music. The Tammy Wynette guest appearance was nice. Enjoyed seeing her. So that's in my third spot. And, and by the way, I really, uh, really enjoyed the scene where uh, Peg and Kelly were singing uh, Rockin' with the Rhythm of the Rain. That was pretty funny. So that's my third favorite episode of season 11. My second favorite episode is Crimes Against Obesity. Th this was a marvelous episode. It was a great idea. The writing was on point for the most part. A, yes, it was a little goofy and corny, but that's typical for this era of the show. It was a great idea putting Al on, on trial to face some of the fat women that he's, that he's insulted over the years. And that was a great touch getting um, the actress whose name escapes me right now, but that was a great touch getting her to return, the one who was the judge in this episode. She was the very first 
person, the very first time that we ever see Al in the shoe store way back in season one, he insulted her. So that was a great touch, getting her to return. I really enjoyed that. So that's my second favorite episode of season 11. My favorite episode of season 11 is Damn Bundy's. I really enjoyed this episode, um, and I'll talk more about Dan Bundy's uh, here in the end, here in a few moments, but this is my favorite episode. The, the guest appearance of Robert England was brilliant. Uh, he's good in just about everything he does. Most people know him as Robert England, but he, uh, he was brilliant in this. And what I liked about this episode is Al, we all know Al gets sent to hell, and ironically, he enjoys it. And soon thereafter, he's joined by his family. They have to play a football game. And in the end, Al has a chance to stay there and be happy or save his family. And Al, as always, proves in the end that he loves his family and he chooses to catch the football there and save them. To me, that's important because, as we all know, Peg ruined his life. He has two ungrateful children who torment him, so on and so forth. We know we know that. That's well established by this point. But what's also well established is that deep down inside, Al actually loves his family. And I loved that last scene of him catching the football and saving his family. So that's my favorite episode of season 11. My least favorite, <laughs> this is actually pretty hard because there's so many, it's almost like I don't know if you've heard the phrase, pick from the buffet. <laughs> There's a buffet of bad episodes in season 11, so how do you pick three? But if I had to pick three for my least favorite, my, my third least favorite would be The Desperate Half Hour. Uh, it's corny, goofy, cringeworthy. I don't know what they were doing there. I think Steven and Tyler and Annabelle mentioned when they were reviewing it that you know this is part one of a two-parter, but... Or had you not watched it night of, you might not have known that it was a two-parter <laughs> because The Desperate Half Hour and How to Marry a Moron obviously have two different titles. So it was weird how they did that. The two episodes also have, you know, two different writing teams. So it's it's a bit of a mess. But I did not like Desperate Half Hour at all. My second least favorite episode was actually one that Luigi and I uh, uh, reviewed. It was uh, A Babe in Toyland. That episode was uh, a bit cringeworthy. It was goofy. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I looking back at the ratings, I actually rated it a 2.5, but I think if I had to review it again, I probably would have uh, gave it a lower mark than that. But one of the things I really disliked about it was something that Annabelle mentioned, and that's that they kind of turned Kelly into a bitch, to be frank, frank with you. And I don't like that. Kelly might be dumb, but she's not... She's not a prima donna. She's not rude. She's generally sweet and nice to people, you know, as long as you don't cross her. But in this episode, just kind of out of nowhere, they turn her into a prima donna. And I don't know. I just didn't like the episode. It was corny and goofy, bad writing, bad delivery, pretty much bad everything. My So that's my second least favorite episode of season 11. By far, my least favorite episode of season 11, it should come as no surprise, is Chicago Shoe Exchange. This episode was bad. It was cringeworthy. The writing was bad. The delivery was bad. The only positive, I, I will say the idea of Alan Griff 
bartering uh, shoes for stuff at the mall is not a bad idea conceptually, but the writing was poor. And, you know, as Luigi and myself pointed out when we were reviewing the episode, everything they were doing to Bud, uh, you know, in the B plot was just flat out hard to watch. It was cringeworthy and, and stupid, really. So Chicago Shoe Exchange, I would say, rivals probably Barely Men as the worst episode in the whole series in my book. Barely Men was an episode that Luigi and I reviewed back in season 10, and boy, was it bad. <laughs> but I would probably put Chicago Shoe Exchange as the worst just because it's so disappointing that that was the series wrap-up episode. So at any rate, those are my, least my three least favorites. Now let's talk real quick about my, my favorite guest stars. Should probably come as no surprise that my favorite guest star of season 11 was Robert England. I love him in everything. Most people know him as Freddy Krueger, but he can act in other things as well. And this is a great example of that. My second favorite guest star was Jennifer Lyons. We all know her as Ariel. We all love her. We had a great time interviewing her in season 10. If you haven't had a chance to check out that interview yet, be sure to check it out. And my third favorite uh, guest star was Alan Thicke. Uh, he's usually pretty good in pretty much everything he does, uh, even though I didn't really particularly like the episode that he was in. <laughs> but uh, he he did do a good job, so I'll give him that, and I, and I enjoyed, enjoyed having him as always. So I wanted to talk real quick about how I would have wrapped the series up. By now, you probably know that I like the episode of Damn Bundy's, so... What I would do is I would have wrapped the series up with that. It would need some minor adjustments, of course, uh, with the way the episode ended. But I feel like that's a much more suitable series finale than Chicago Shoe Exchange. So much so that like, if, if someone were asking me, hey, Chris, how should I watch season 11? I would say, well, like anything else, watch it in order, with one exception. After you watch Birthday Boy Toy, I would skip Damn Bundy's and go to Lesby Friends. And I would go all the way through to the end. And after watching Chicago Shoe Exchange, I would then watch Damn Bundy's. Because the final scene of Al there in hell where he catches the football and saves his family, to me, that's a much more fitting ending than Chicago Shoe Exchange. Is it perfect? No. Is it a masterpiece? No. But... Imagine if that's the last episode that you watch compared to Chicago Shoe Exchange. Chicago Shoe Exchange leaves a really sour, kind of crappy taste in your mouth compared to, you know, the last couple of scenes of uh, Dan Bundy's. So that's how I would have wrapped it up. So let me know down in the comments, how would you have wrapped it up if you, if you had an opportunity? Now for uh, rating the entire season, season 11. As I said, I did a diagram. I put... 10 episodes in the category of like, which means I rate them a 3 or better. I put 14 episodes in the category of dislike, meaning I would rate them a 2.5 or lower. If I had to rate season 11, it's kind of hard because it's, it's a little imbalanced on the dislike side there. If someone were to ask me, hey, Chris, do you like season 11? I couldn't with a, a straight face say, yes, I do, <laughs> because by and large, it's not very good. But at the same time, I'm sitting here saying, hey, there are 10 episodes in the season that I do like. So I couldn't fairly say that I uh, 
At least I don't strongly dislike it. Let's put it that way, because there are 10 episodes that I do like. At any rate, if I had to rate season 11, I think I would give it a weighted average of a 2.5. And I think that's being pretty generous. At any rate, those are my thoughts on season 11. Be sure to let us know what you think down in the comments section. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. And I'll wrap this up just by saying I, I can't believe we're we're wrapping up season 11 and we're about to wrap up the entire series. Being a co-host on this podcast with with Luigi and uh, Team Australia, Annabelle and, and Matt and uh, Stephen and Tyler, our founder Alex, you know, has been uh, you know one of my great pleasures, and it's something I'll look back to uh, you know 20 years from now and and remember very fondly. So thank you to all of our listeners. We greatly appreciate it. This is not our last episode. We will be back. So I want to remind everybody out there, do not unsubscribe. Do not unsubscribe from YouTube, your Podbean feeds, wherever you get your quality podcasts from. Do not leave the Facebook group. Keep being active. We'll talk about anything in the group, if it's Married with Children related. But keep following us because you never know when we're going to come back. And we will be back to wrap up the series of Marriage Children, the entire show and the entire podcast. That's our next episode, unless we sneak something in in between. See, that's the thing. You don't know what we're going to do next. <laughs> we, we don't get, know. <laughs> we don't know, for the most part. Yeah. We might, we might get some, <laughs> We might get some more interviews. That would be amazing. Exactly. And, you know, we'll still try and get interviews. If you've got an idea for a podcast episode, let us know. We've got some ideas brewing, but nothing that's being formulated, per se, quite yet. But we will be back. And like they say in the, in the end credits of season 11, don't go away, we'll be right back. <laughs>